Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to a somewhat different edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. You probably would have sensed it was somewhat different, even if I hadn't told you it was somewhat different, because you don't usually hear my voice at the top of the show. You hear the voice of my co-host, Kieran Mulvaney. But Kieran is off sailing around Arctic regions this week, not on vacation, he insists, but working just not working in a place that makes it possible for him to Skype in for the podcast. So you're stuck with me, Eric Raskin. And the good news for you and for me is that I have a guest co-host this week and you're going to dig it. I guarantee. But I'll leave you in suspense for just a moment longer while I set up the show. Before Kieran left on his voyage, we recorded an interview with retired former middleweight titleist Andy Lee. So that'll be coming up at the end of this week's pod. Also, Kieran picked a pretty darn good time to go away in as much as there were no fights of consequence this past weekend. So my guest co-host and I will not be looking back on any fights. Instead, we'll cover all the big news of the past week and we'll preview next weekend's fights. Plus, we'll talk about whatever other random topics we might veer off into. So without any further delay, let's get to the reveal. I'm thrilled to welcome to the podcast, as my guest co-host this week, a member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame, a man who's been broadcasting boxing for some 40 years, the last 15-plus as the lead analyst for Showtime Championship Boxing, a man who really knows what he's talking about on all subjects, except for his failure to appreciate the brilliance of Bruce Springsteen. But to quote my father's favorite movie line from Some Like It Hot, well, nobody's perfect. He is, of course, Al Bernstein. Al, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast this week. Very nice to be with you. And yes, as the, the immortal line uttered by Joey Brown when he found out that Jack Lemmon was, in fact, a man rather than a woman. So, yep. That uh, that's one 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 of the uh, one of the oldest comedies that my dad uh, got me to watch when I was a kid, and uh, I didn't appreciate it like he does, but I can still appreciate that uh, that it, it was it was pretty there funny, and go. that is a great line. So yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, it's good to be with you. Great fun to uh, visit with you, uh, and a uh, chance to sit in and schmooze. All right. Well, then uh, let's let's get right into the schmoozing uh, with uh, some of the news of the week. And the biggest news, uh, or at least the most mainstream news, uh, is that Logan Paul and KSI, a couple of YouTube stars who boxed each other in an exhibition a year ago, will rematch in a sanctioned professional fight on November 9th at Staples Center in Los Angeles with DAZN carrying the card. The debate on boxing Twitter was about whether or not it's good to bring new eyeballs to boxing with a sideshow fight like this. And a common comparison was to the 2017 Mayweather-McGregor fight, which, of course, you were ringside for. So where, where do you stand on this? Is Logan Paul versus KSI good for boxing? Well, look, they have a right to uh, to put it on. They have a right to televise it. And I guess the, the California Commission has a right to allow them to make it a professional fight. And so there's nothing stopping them from doing it. And the impact it has on boxing, to be honest, I personally think will be minimal because uh, this is, a, a, you know, one of those weird one-offs. I would suggest that the McGregor fight maybe had a little more impact on boxing because it brought a bunch of it reminded a bunch of MMA fans about the sport, right. um, and I think made them remember that yeah, I want to pay attention to boxing a little bit more, even though there, I believe there's much more crossover between the two sports than people suggest this to me is a disown effort to get eyeballs on their their product which they again they have a right to do so i think this has more to do with the zone uh trying to help its brand than whether it's going to impact boxing more yeah i, I was thinking the same thing that uh DAZN didn't get the canelo triple g three mm -hmm. fight that they were hoping for. And, uh, you know, this is a different approach to getting subscriptions up uh, before the, the year is out. So, yeah, I, I think it works for them on that front should attract some non-boxing fans who weren't paying for DAZN yet. I guess this is the question from boxing's perspective is, will those people come for, you know, just the one fight, just the one month subscription and and then they're done? You know, I, I, I just have my doubts about whether this kind of a fight will create new boxing fans. You know, you, you stumble into Gaddy Ward or Corrales Castillo if you're not really a boxing fan, and, and that might right. make you make you want to suddenly consume all the boxing you possibly can. I'm not sure that this card will have that kind of effect. 
No, I don't think it will. And I and I think again, it's it's not. Its design is more for the zone. And uh, what's really intriguing, though, and I can speak to this firsthand, is the interesting thing will be how do you approach it as a broadcaster for our comrades at zone that mm-hmm. have to broadcast this this especially this is even much different than mcgregor and uh and mayweather much different um we have essentially two amateur fighters if you can call them that right uh you know doing a, a youtube feud <laughs> <laughs> in the ring you know now given the times we live in it's not shocking that this would elevate <laughs> itself to you know to this kind of stage but uh, I'll tell you, it's a very tricky deal. I would not want to be in the position of having to announce this. This would be very difficult. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, that you, in terms of being able to turn a critical eye to their technique in the fight, it's th- th- those sort of observations that you would normally make as a broadcaster, that kind of goes right. out the window uh, it's, when, when you're doing a fight like this. So. Yeah, it does, and you have to approach it in a certain way. I, I, you know, I haven't put my brain around that part because I'm not doing it, but right. it would take a really uh, certain approach. So anyway, it's uh, that's kind of inside baseball, but uh, <laughs> right. I, I'm with you. I don't know that this has a monstrous impact on the sport of boxing. Right. The last note on this is just that before they fought the first time, I had heard of Logan Paul. I'd never heard mm-hmm. of KSI. You have a son who's maybe somewhere around the right age demo for this. I'm not sure whether he's into YouTube, but had you heard of either of these guys before they decided to get involved in boxing? To be honest, no. I have to confess I have not. So that makes me tragically unhip, I know. <laughs> but um, but nonetheless, no. I, and you're right. My, my son is a musician and a singer and everything, and he's, he's, more, he's of the right age. I have to say I have not, even through him, gotten any, uh, any hint of these two men. Yeah, ne- neither you nor I are really the target demo for this fight. Uh, Probably, these, these chances guys. are we're not. Right. No. <laughs> All right, well, uh, next news item here, we're getting Logan Paul versus KSI. We're not getting Julian Williams, Jared Hurd, too. Totally a fair trade-off there for boxing fans. I think. Yeah, of course, right. Um, the, the rematch to Williams' stirring upset victory in May was tentatively set for December, but Hurd changed his mind, and the reasons why aren't entirely clear. Uh, he has a new trainer, so maybe he wanted an easier fight or two to work that chemistry out. He suggested he's not sure if he can still make 154 pounds. Uh, Williams apparently wanted 90 days of VADA testing instead of just 60 days, which the conspiracy theorists will tell you was the real reason Hurd wanted out. Uh, maybe the rematch will still happen eventually, but it isn't happening in December. Any guess what's going on with, with Jared Hurd, and how bummed are you that the rematch is off? Yeah, I mean, all boxing fans <clears throat> wanted to see this fight again. It, it will probably be the fight of the year um, for this year, or will certainly be in the, the top running for it. And it mm-hmm. was really a terrific matchup. Uh, I think um, the, the, uh, my guess is, and this is just a guess, that, that uh, you mentioned all the factors that could have gone into um, Jared Hurd uh, deciding not to do this rematch immediately. But I think at the end of the day, it's about the, the same reason in a way that Anthony Joshua and his team had to really debate whether they fought Ruiz right away again. Mm-hmm. Um, and they opted for it. Hurd has not opted for fighting Williams again. He, Jared Hurd had stylistic issues that didn't, that didn't scuttle him to this point because of his power and his um, enormous ability to absorb punches and his hard work in the ring during fights. Because um, J-Rock was able to sustain the power of Hurd and be very consistent in his effort and and had a terrific fight plan, those issues that Jared Hurd already had became bigger. I mean, let's remember that Jared Hurd... In many of his, in a number of his major fights, uh, even fights he won was behind on the scorecard. And you know, uh, when he fought Tony Harrison, you know, he came back right. with a knockout. Um, and and in his championship fights, this had had, you know, showed the the um, the weakness of being hit a lot. I think they have to find a way to. And you mentioned a new trainer. They have to find a way to make sure that he doesn't have another career-defining loss right away. They have to figure out a way to see if they can fine-tune his uh, performance. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up 
Joshua Ruiz, because that's that's the rematch that was on my mind too here. Because with that, for Anthony Joshua, there was a bit of a sense of he needs to go get that immediate revenge against Andy Ruiz, or mm-hmm. at least try for it, because if he goes in a different direction, it, it kills his reputation that he didn't go after Ruiz. So is it not the same situation here for her that you feel like he can just move up and wait and move on without necessarily trying to avenge this defeat? Well, he, I mean, he's in a little bit of a different situation because he can, as you say, there are many other maneuvers that, that make people forget in time, like moving up in weight, finding another fight that you can win that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anthony Joshua, I think, is more boxed in because, number one, he can't move to a different weight. <laughs> right. um, num- number two, there's only so many heavyweights he can fight that anyone will think of it as a, um, as a realistic, uh, you know, matchup that would enhance his, his reputation. Um, Hurd has a few more options available to him. Um, and, you know, he's, he's at an age where he's a veteran of the sport already, but still young, and they can, they can see if they can, uh, you know, craft things to, to get him back on the, uh, on the winning ticket. Now, moving up in weight, I think if they do go that route, brings with it some interesting uh, dangers because his big issue right now is that he simply gets hit too much. And if you move up in weight, you're facing – you know, though you might not initially face a big puncher in the middleweight division, uh, you're going to, and uh, and that obviously is, you know, is an issue. So uh, it's going to be it's a it's a it's a really interesting situation for Jared Hurd to be in, and um, and I will see. It's a shame the fight didn't isn't happening, but I, I would guess in the next month or so we'll get some clarification from the Hurd camp about what they're going to do. Right. And just from the Williams side, I would say the silver lining for us as fans and and for him, I guess, is that there are plenty of other options for him at 154 pounds. He didn't need Jarrett Hurd again. He has plenty of intriguing fights there. Yeah. Yes, many excellent fights. It's a very talented division, and there are a lot of fights out there for him to make. And, and in fact, uh, Julian Williams is of a mind to make a lot of those fights. He's an old mm-hmm. school guy. You know, he is, he is, he's a, he's, he's somebody that I think is really kind of steeped in boxing. Uh, he and his trainer, Breadman uh, Edwards, you know, they're, right. they're, they're people that uh, have an appreciation for the sport uh, from a historical perspective. Plus um, he has a very, I think real feeling about representing himself as champion. So I think he's going to take on some good people. And the beauty of it is you don't have to uh, look that far to find a bunch of 154 pounders who are good. Right. All right. Last item before we move on to our fight previews, uh, we have some news with regard to the Showtime boxing schedule. First of all, we have a televised co-feature to Clarissa Shields' homecoming bout on October 5th against Ivana Habazin. It's heavyweight Jermaine Franklin, who has disappointed in his two Showtime fights so far, taking on Pavel Sauer. Uh, and this next bit of news is not official yet, just some sources reporting on a card that's in the works, but it appears Showtime Championship Boxing on October 26th will feature Erickson Lubin versus Terrell Gachet and Brian Castaño versus Wale Omatoso, both fights at the division we were just talking about, 154 pounds. There's an example of some of the talent that's out there. Um, so I'm sure you'll study these matchups more closely when they're right. made official and when the fights draw close. But for now, any initial intrigue for you here? Well, for the as far as the um, the 154 pounders are concerned, uh, I think the Lubin Gachet uh, matchup is a really interesting one. You know, Gachet who had was in a dreadful fight against Arislandi Lara back in the days when Arislandi Lara was capable still of deadening fights and make yeah. them making them you know dreary affairs that he would win uh, by large scorecards. Uh, but Gachet came back and in his last fight with Austin Trout, a very controversial draw, um, he was in an entertaining fight. And, and, uh, and I think he and Lubin actually could make for a very entertaining matchup. Um, the, you know, Gachet is at the point in his career where he needs, uh, I, I think, needs a win like this very much so to keep himself thought of as a potential contender uh, in that division. And, of course, Lubin 
feels he's ready to take the next step. It would be easy to imagine Erickson Lubin fighting uh, J-Rock. Yeah. Um, you know, that would be a match that would be, uh, I think, uh, potentially makeable and would be one that I think people would look at and say, that's, you know, that's a quite a, you know, quite a good matchup. Um, and Brian Castaño, who, who had the draw with Arislandi Lara in a very entertaining fight, uh, yeah. a, a draw that could have gone his way, could have gone Lara's way too, but um, Castaño fought very, very well. And Amatoso is, is a solid fighter, but this is his opportunity at age 34 to try and show that he can do more, um, that he can get a win of significance. You know, he hasn't, hasn't been able to really do that. Um, and so, it, you know, from a matchup standpoint, it's, it's, it's a fighter who needs something in Amatoso uh, and Brian Castaño, who, for him, a win would, again, put put him in a, a situation where he might be a fighter that um, J-Rock Williams would look to. And that would not be inappropriate for Williams to fight Castaño. Yeah, I, I, I like the way that all these fighters, uh, again, it's all sort of theoretical at this point, nothing's official, but mm-hmm. if, if these fights happen, I like the way that these guys match up with each other. And especially that I view Gachet as a, a really interesting test for Lubin, who were still not quite sure about Lubin obviously has talent and he's very young, only 23. Um, he suffered that, that first round knockout loss to Jermel Charlo has come back with three good knockout wins, but against guys, he was supposed to knock out without much difficulty. Right. So, so this is interesting. Gachet would be a test. And, and I think it's, it's time for another test for Lubin. Yeah. He, he rehabilitated himself in fights that were winnable, like he Smith and, um, uh, Zachary Atal and uh, Atto, and 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 now he does need to fight someone that can present a little bit more of a uh, a, a test, and uh, Gachet is certainly that. So uh, you know, it, it, this is a con- continuing his rehabilitation process, but this is this is probably where the rehabilitation process ends one way or the other. Right. Um, and then the challenge is either going to be a title match against somebody or something dramatically more difficult. Right. All right, let's preview some fights. Uh, three televised cards of note this weekend. Uh, and I say televised, but none of them are actually on TV. They're all on streaming services. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start with Friday night at the theater at Madison Square Garden. This one's on DAZN. Uh, this card was supposed to include the fight that Kieran said last week he was really looking forward to, Danny Roman versus Marajan Akhmedaliev, yeah. but that fight has been scrapped due to an injury to Roman. Um, still three fights of note here. The main event is Devin Haney versus Zor Abdullayev, Battle of Unbeatens, 22-0 versus 11-0. There's a good women's fight, Heather Hardy versus Amanda Serrano, and a meeting of possibly promising heavyweights, Michael Hunter and Sergey Kuzmin. Uh, let's start with Haney Abdullayev. Give me, give me your take on Haney. How high are you on this kid? Well, he's a very talented fighter. Obviously, he made a number of appearances on Showbox where uh, the people that watch uh, Showbox on Showtime got a chance to see him, and uh, he's uh, not only is he a talented fighter, he he's got a promotional company that co-promotes his own fights, uh, and and he is a creating a kind of a larger than life uh, figure of himself. Um, but will the the hype outstrip the what is actually happening in the ring? Now he's very very talented. The question is, this fight is supposed to lead him if he wins, and it won't be that easy a fight against Abdullah, is supposed to lead him potentially even to a fight with Vasily Lomachenko, in hmm. theory. Right. Um, and I can assure you that that is a challenge he's not quite ready to take. <laughs> right. Um, even though he's a very, very talented and good young fighter. The Abdullah fight actually could give us a better window into where he's at, um, because Abdullah is a good fighter, and, um, and, and this may give us a clue as to how good uh, Haney really is. I, my, I suspect he's really good, and I think he's going to be a, a force in the, in, in the lightweight division uh, for years to come, or any division that he would go up to. But, um, but the jury is still out as to whether he's a terrific fighter or just a very good one. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty high on him too, and and I do think even if he passes this test with the most flying of colors, 
it's he they should keep him away from Lomachenko for a while. He should still be several fights away from from taking on that ultimate challenge. But yeah, I mean, Haney seems to have all the tools. This is one of those fights where looking at Abdullayev and how good he is, if 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 this was an ordinary prospect in Haney that we are talking about, uh, you know, you'd see that he's in against a 25 year old Russian who's 11 and 0 and has beaten some half decent competition. And you'd think, whoa, this is a serious test. But Devin Haney seems to me to be a level above those ordinary prospects, a, a real elite prospect to my eyes. So um, I think there is a chance here that he's going to blow right through uh, even even Abdullayev or, or at least beat him pretty comfortably, uh, whereas most prospects would probably, this would be the, a, a stiff test for them. I'm not sure it is for Devin Haney. Yeah, I think Abdullayev would be the favorite against a lot of prospects that would come in to face him. And I agree with you. Haney make, makes it just the other way around. He's you know, ends up being the slight favorite in this fight. Um, and how he, if he wins, how he wins, obviously, um, will tell people a lot. And, um, you know, and, and we're also, you know, we're, we're still relatively early in his uh, development. Uh, and so either way, other than a loss to Abdullayev, it, you know, it keeps. It will be fine for Haney as long as they have their head on their shoulders the right way in terms of how they proceed with him. Right. All right. So I'm looking at this co-feature, um, and mm-hmm. there was a there was a time not too many years ago when it was okay to say that you don't care for women's boxing or you don't like watching women punch each other. I, I used to hear that all the time twenty years ago, mm-hmm. ten years ago. It's not so okay to say that out loud anymore. Uh, And really, the skill level is so much better now than it was around the turn of this century. And Hardy versus Serrano is a great example. Um, I'm not saying this is like a female Lomachenko versus Rigondeau or anything, but these women can fight. Um, And and Hunter versus Kuzman looks competitive, too. Um, Are you going to make a point to watch this whole card? Uh, Or does this maybe get kind of the wait till the next morning, see what people are saying, watch it after the fact, if people say it was good, that sort of treatment? Yeah, I'll probably, I'm sure I'll look at it. I'm, I'm curious about the um, the matchups, all three of the matchups. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, you mentioned uh, Serrano and Hardy. That, you know, Amanda Serrano has been on the verge of being thought of as one of the best pound-for-pound women fighters, if not already there. Uh, and Heather Hardy has had a career in which she's had, she's clearly a, a very talented uh, fighter, but has not been able to break through with the kind of wins that she wants. And this is her opportunity to be sure. Um, Serrano has other, other potential fights down the road. You know, there's Katie Taylor out there, um, among others for her, if she were to win very convincingly against Hardy, I think she would create a marketability for her, um, that could make her some other fights that were be important, specifically somebody like Taylor. And so women's boxing, as you aptly point out, has gained enough, of an acceptance among boxing fans to where they will pay attention to women's fights that they believe make a difference, like Clarissa Shields' fights and uh, Katie Taylor when she fights has been in action fights. Uh, and so I think, you know, that's this fight, and I, and I hate to put it in these terms because I always hate when people do this, but I think if this fight is a really terrific and interesting fight, it further aids the, the, the case for women's boxing. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think there's anything wrong with putting it in those terms. It's it's a uh, the women's boxing is still proving itself. Um yeah. you know, and, yeah. and it's making great strides. The the fighters are are so much better than than they used to be. Um you know, I'm in the sort of the the Christy Martin Layla Ali era. Right. There were re- they weren't bad, but there were really only a handful well, there of, of fighters there at that of... level. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of depth in the right. divisions. Now there's a little more depth in these divisions where you have more potential matchups. I mean, the, the fighters at the top were good, um, some better than others, but but there wasn't enough depth uh, to make good fights. So now, now there is a little bit more. And, um, and the heavyweight matchup that you mentioned also competitive. Right. So, yeah, I will, uh, I will definitely um, take a peek at this card and uh, see what's cooking. 
Right. Yeah, I haven't decided yet if I'm going to attempt to to watch it live uh, or uh, this is something I've talked about with Kieran a bit. Uh, I, I I've done my rants about how there's there's too much boxing on some weekends and yeah. uh, and you just can't watch it all. Um, so right. exactly. uh, so so this is sort of this could be a although I do really kind of like this card from top to bottom. So it, it might not be one where I wait, read the results, and then go back and watch what sounds good. I might actually try and check uh, check this all out live. But well, you're uh, a, you're a man of 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 many interests. You're eclectic. <laughs> you're 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 in great demand uh, from a from a social standpoint i'm sure yes so certainly. not easy for something to get your full attention on a saturday night um i would i would love <laughs> to claim that there's some truth to that that my weekend evenings uh are, are too busy for boxing but it's more like can i stay awake uh, at the end uh, at the end of a long day it gets not, dark out i'm on a, the east coast you know uh it's not a it, your, your weekends are not a madcap uh crazy <laughs> existence um, I would say, I would say not. I would say the, the right. word madcap has not been attached to me. What year did I graduate? <laughs> College, 97. So it's been about that All long. Right, not since, since that time. All right. right. Well, yes. then, you, then you do have time to, to pay attention to these matches. In, in theory, yeah. Um, so moving on to Saturday, this one's also on DAZN uh, from Carson, California. Uh, the most high-profile Mexican fighter in action on Mexican Independence Day weekend, Jaime Munguia, takes on Patrick Alati, and in the co-feature, uh, hyped up and marketable prospect Ryan Garcia meets Avery Sparrow from my neck of the woods in Philly. Uh, mm-hmm. Two two A side fighters here that I'm interested in. Neither matchup really excites me though. Uh, you know they're not mismatches. They're just kind of meh to me. Is your interest in this show any stronger than mine? No, I think that's a good way to put it. You know, the, we want it, we're curious how those two fine fighters are going to do. And Mangaya is very much a fighter that we look at from fight to fight because we can't tell how much he is developing, you know, uh, and becoming a better technical technician. He's a very exciting fighter and a good offensive fighter, but technique is not something that he's been perfect at. Uh, how is he getting better from fight to fight? So that makes it of interest. Uh, and Ryan Garcia, as you pointed out, somebody who, who appears to have a very bright future. Um, so this fight, this is one of those fights that comes into the category, I think, of what the, you were suggesting about the other one. Mm-hmm. I'm more likely to say, if I read on, you know, that, oh, my God, one of these fights was absolutely spectacular, uh, or, God forbid, for the two favorites, an upset should happen, I'm going to definitely want to take a look at it. Right. Yeah, and and that's even more so maybe the case with this one because it's up against a, another card at the same time. So let's let's talk about that sort of the unofficial main event of the weekend uh, on ESPN Plus from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. It's Tyson Fury defending the lineal heavyweight championship, uh, assuming uh, that you didn't strip him of it in your mind when he temporarily mm-hmm. retired. Um, he's taking on Otto Valin, who's been scheduled to fight on Showtime twice this year and got one round of action, no wins, no losses, and one no contest out of it. Uh, you weren't scheduled to call either of those Valin fights, but I assume you've watched and studied him some. Sure. Does he pose any threat to Fury, uh, or is he at least better than Tom Schwartz? Yeah, I, I don't think he poses a threat to Fury. Fury is, you know, by being active now, even though the again the you know the level of his competition isn't extraordinary, uh, and by focusing on being a fighter and by simply working at his craft, Tyson Fury is is going to continue to get better. And I, Tyson Fury is an interesting case to me because I have to say, when he came back and uh, fought. Wilder, after he'd had just a couple of those meaningless tune-up fights where he was still trying to get in shape, he did something that only Johnny Tapia has done in my long career of announcing fights, and I was able to announce Johnny Tapia when he came back. After Johnny Tapia did was had an a, you know enforced layoff from the sport. It's similar to similar though even more extreme than than Wilder or than Furies. Mm-hmm. He literally was homeless. He lived on the street for a while. He finally you know got his life back together. Several years of being away from the sport. When Johnny Tapia came back, he was an infinitely better fighter than when he left the sport. It was shocking to me. Hmm. I believe Tyson Fury has done exactly the same thing. 
I did many Tyson Fury fights in the early days uh, when I used to call fights for Channel 5 in England, one of their networks. Um, I did a lot of his fights as he was moving forward and getting close uh, when he did his first fight with Chisora and a number of other fights. And I look at this Tyson Fury, the one that fought Wilder and the one who's now trying to um, keep himself in shape and ready, and I say he's a better fighter than he ever was prior to that. And so I think these kind of matchups, especially to this Fury, to the old Fury who also was occasionally out of shape before Mm -hmm. he won the title and who was oftentimes still trying to tinker with who he should be, a fight like this could create some drama. Not now, though. I love that Tapia parallel. I, I haven't heard that anywhere, and I hadn't thought about that. But uh, it, it is there are some similarities in the situation. Certainly, both guys struggling with some some mental issues and some substance issues, and and for different reasons, taking a lot of time yeah. off. And and you're right that that uh, Fury based on what we've been seeing, is, is a better fighter now than even when he beat Vladimir Klitschko. I, I think he yeah. he's, he's a better fighter now. Um, I think, uh, you know, Valin is a clear upgrade over the last guy that, that Fury yeah, fought, no Tom Schwartz. Um, but he's just... He, he's woefully underprepared for this if you look at who he's fought. And then, you know, this is like calling a kid up from AAA and for his first game in the majors, he's pinch hitting with two outs in the bottom of the ninth of a playoff game against Justin Verlander. That's, that's where they're throwing him in here. You know, he, he I, I think he's a pretty good fighter, but this is probably not going to go well against Fury. Yeah, no, it's not. It's too much to ask of him, as you point out. But they'll be happy if he just gives Tyson Fury a little bit of work in this fight. Right. So, so, so what's going on with Fury? Any guess what's up with him deciding to take on two relative cream puff opponents in a row and and to an extent wasting a 2019 that was supposed to start with a Deontay Wilder rematch is is he is he just trying to make easy money is he losing that focus and motivation again already because as we saw before he struggles when he's on top what what are your theories yeah I don't think it's a motivation issue and I think he's very clear-headed about where he's headed um they've taken the easier road um in terms of trying to keep his brand here in America by putting him in, by at least having him fight a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And, and he has taken the easier road with the opponents because I don't think he feels like he needs to risk uh, the, the, the wilder fight. Um, and I think they feel like there's only so many ways for, in the heavyweight division, there's only certain fights that can create huge money. And the wilder fury fight is one of them. So as long as they, keep that ready in, in the holster for uh, 2020 sometime in the first quarter, probably now toward the end of the first quarter. Right. I think they felt like their path was clear. Uh, he's still young enough to where wasting six or seven or eight months or, you know, putting it kind of shelving a little bit is not going to be, um, you know, a danger to him. And I think they're banking everything on getting back to that wilder fight and winning it in uh, maybe in March or, or possibly April. Okay, so yeah, I was going to ask uh, your, your confidence that it, that it's indeed going to happen, that we'll we'll get that plan coming to fruition. Obviously, both guys need to win these interim fights. We agree that at least on the Fury side, that should be pretty easy. Um, and then we right. need to have Fury not change his mind again. So it sounds like you're saying, if you had to guess, you would you think we will see that rematch uh, in, in yeah, early I, 2020? Yeah, I really do. Wilder, of course, has to beat Ortiz, which is a little tougher. Uh, definitely a lot tougher um, mm-hmm. for him, although most people tend to feel that other than that the, the round in which Ortiz hurt him and had him almost out was a little bit of an aberration, um, though it certainly did exist, and, right. and, and Ortiz has the power to potentially do it again. But, um, but if he wins that fight, I, am, I feel very confident that uh, they will find a way to make that in the first quarter of uh, – of 2020 it's the it's the the fight that makes all the sense in the world and for both sides it's where uh, you know the next major payday is um and so i just don't see a downside for it you know wilder's at the age now and he's almost headed to his mid-30s where he can't afford to lose out on major paydays you know uh his biological boxing clock is starting to tick and so 
he, he wants to make sure that that happens. Yeah. Um, okay, on this uh, Fury Valine card, couple of other fights uh, in the in the co-feature. Emmanuel Navarrete fights for the second time in four weeks, taking on uh, Flash Elorde's grandson Juan Miguel Elorde. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, do you have any Flash Elorde memories to share? Yeah, only that he was a great fighter, and of course, you know, uh, one of my favorite things is going back on YouTube and watching him mm-hmm. in his fights. He was, you know, uh, he was the the latter day Manny Pacquiao. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, was a, uh, you know, he's a terrific fighter for sure. Yeah, a, a little a little before my time, but uh, my understanding is he was generally considered the greatest Filipino fighter ever until until Manny came along. Yeah, I think I think that's, a, a you know, a, the consensus thinking. And, and he was terrific. You know, he was um, he was just a very excellent fighter who had many good number of great matches. And and the Philippines has play, always played a role in boxing, especially in recent years, partially because of Pacquiao and, uh, and other fighters coming along. But um, uh, so, and and I think it's kind of cool that uh, that his um, his lineage, his family history, continues in boxing. Yeah, um, but of course, more people will be focusing on the guy in the other corner, uh, yes. Emmanuel Navarrete. How, how awesome is it that that Navarrete is fighting twice in a month? We don't see that much. That is staggering these days. Um, yeah. That almost never happens. It was something that for younger fans, they may be shocked when they look back at some of these records of older fighters in the 50s and 60s and even into the 70s, um, you know, fighting so often, having, you know, in, in the days of the Ray Robinsons and the Jake LaMottas and people of that ilk, they would, you know, they'd fight twice a month often. You know, and they would end up with with eighteen, nineteen fights, sometimes twenty, twenty some fights a year. Um, and uh, this is rare, but it shows that it can be done, given where you, you know, where how you do in your fights. And um, you know, we're thrilled when somebody fights twice within a two or three month period. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, in my time covering boxing, I remember. Freddie Norwood doing this once about 20 years ago mm-hmm. that he had two title fights inside a month. I'm not wow. sure if it's happened since then. I, I, I no, I'm sure can't not. remember another case. So Yeah, I'm sure it hasn't. And even, yeah, I'm confident. And uh, any fighter, we could probably look at any fighter who's, who's a top contender, and, and it would be very rare to find this. Yeah. Um, all right, also on this card, Jose Pedraza versus Jose Zapata. Uh, Zapata, Pedraza, Tomato, Tomato, Hakuna Matata. Uh, how happy are you not to have to call this fight and remember which Jose is which? Yeah, the two Jose's, uh, and and they're they're similar in so many different ways because they're both 30 years of age. They both are in a position where a win is very important to them. You know, Pedraza's intriguing because uh, you know he's only had two losses, official losses in his career, to Gerante Davis and to Vasily Lomachenko. To, you know, arguably, uh, Lomachenko certainly in the top of the pound for pound, and Jamonte Davis, a terrifically talented young fighter, yeah. um, who is a champion. His other loss that he did have that wasn't accounted for was against Edner Cherry in a fight that I broadcast, and I will guarantee you 100% that um, Pedraza lost that fight, even if the judges didn't score it that way. Right. However, you know, he went from being uh, an Olympian and, 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 and thought of as a can't-miss professional, became a champion. And since that time, it's been an up-and-down struggle for Jose Pedraza. And now at age 30, the last thing on the planet he could survive is a loss to uh, Zepeda. And Zepeda's is in, in the same situation. You know, his two losses came to uh, Terry Flanagan and Jose Ramirez, champions, right? Both good, very good fighters, not maybe on the level of Davis and Lomachenko, though Ramirez, you can make the cases approaching some of that. Um, so he needs a win in this fight very badly. So from the standpoint of, of, of how important a fight could be, this one's really important to both of them. Okay, so that's all the fights that, that we have to preview. But uh, before I let you go, Al, let's do a, a quick lightning round of random questions. Alrighty. All right, you ready? Okay. Here we go. First right, off. I'm, I'm set. I got my thinking cap on. <laughs> okay, good. You didn't have it on prior to this? <laughs> no, I was, I was saving myself. Okay, good. <laughs> so first question, pound for pound, number one, Lomachenko or Crawford? Who you got? Uh, I would still stick with Lomachenko. 
Okay. Uh, I, I hate to bring up bad news here, but 0-1 start mm. for your Chicago Bears. Will they still win the NFC North? Uh, my heart says maybe. My mind says no. The Minnesota Vikings are likely to win that division, and, and I am very, very, very worried about uh, the quarterback play of the Bears. Uh, I've they had my doubts before, and now um, uh, very, uh, very concerned. Okay. Uh, not going too deep down the politics mm-hmm. rabbit hole here, but if it was up to you, who would be the Democratic candidate for president in 2020? Well, obviously, I am I am a Democrat, and mm-hmm. the, the, so I would. Uh, my answer to that question, of course, is anyone that I thought could win. Right. Uh, and I think that's in the mind of most Democrats. My guess is it's going to be between two people, Biden and Warren. Uh, that does that's not going out on a great limb. Um, but I do think that ultimately the choice is going to winnow down to that, and it's going to be a question as to whether the Democratic Party goes for the candidate that has generated the most will have generated the most excitement and will have based so much of her campaign in the case of Warren on policies and uh, and programs, or whether they will. Biden, who will still remain, I think still will remain when we get close to the the nominating uh, to the primaries, we will still remain the one most likely to win. Uh, His percentages will be higher. So the question is, one of those two will be chosen by the party. Yeah, he he definitely has the name recognition edge over everybody else. So uh, there there is a certain safety, I think, for uh, for the Democratic Party. In, yeah, and in people him. understand he's a moderate Democrat who could not lose the Midwest in that election. I don't think it would be very difficult for him to lose the Midwest. And and winning those three states and hanging on to what they have is ultimately a plan for Democrats. So right. we'll see. But you mentioned Warren with uh, policies and programs. Who 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 runs on such things? Uh, it feels yeah, go, like nobody does that here. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> when did when did that happen last? <laughs> All right. So uh, back to boxing. You're working on a book with Eddie Mustafa Muhammad about his life. Uh, would you say he was part of the best light heavyweight era ever? Yeah, there's no question about that, and we're going to include in the book a chapter that deals with that uh, very fact. Um, it was extraordinary. You know, uh, within that period of time when he started and when he left, for instance, uh, in the 70s and into the 80s, I mean, the, the list of people that had championships at some point were remarkable. Uh, Matthew Saad Muhammad, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, Marvin Johnson, uh, John Conti, uh, Victor Galindez, Mike Rossman, um, Michael Spinks, Dwight Muhammad Kawi. Now, those are all champions, right? Let, let's, then you go to the contenders. Yaki Lopez, who was maybe one of the greatest fighters ever that never won a title. Um, you know, and the two Davis brothers, Johnny and Eddie, uh, and so many others. It was just from top to bottom, the division was filled with great fighters and uh, the fights they had were legendary. It was an astonishing time. And I, I always used Gil Clancy as my role, my, my barometer during the eighties. Um, I would go to Gil and I would ask him, okay, so tell you, tell me, cause you saw the three decades previous to me, what part of this is historical or what part is just really good? And one of the, the things that he always said to me was that the group of light heavyweights was by far overall the best he'd ever seen. Hmm. I, I, I suspect Eddie has some good stories that he's been sharing with you about, about he those does. fights. We have some good things about the, the those stories and some of his other interesting experiences along the way. And uh, we're hopeful that uh, pretty soon we'll have that wrapped up and start uh, start getting it uh, published. And uh, hopefully uh, at some point mid next year, we hope the book will be on. Okay, great. Uh, final question. Ruiz Joshua 2. Who you got mm. and how much would Showtime have to pay you to cover a fight <laughs> in Saudi Arabia? Well, it's intriguing. That fight has, yeah, that you you hit on the 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 the, the side story, the sidebar to that fight, its location, uh, everything that led up to it ending up in Saudi Arabia. Um, the it is it is a it's a fascinating um, tale about the power of money, and when you think about it. The Joshua fight, which would, would, should have normally been ticketed to England, right, where all those fans have, over the years, 
supported Anthony Joshua for, you know, t- tremendous numbers. I was there when the, uh, we broadcast the Klitschko-Joshua uh, fight. We did several other Joshua fights where there were eighty to 90,000 people in, a, you know, uh, at, in Cardiff or at Wembley. Um, and so they support him all the way through, and then his fight ends up in Saudi Arabia because of the enormous uh, money involved in it. And, and that's, that's going to remain, leading up to the fight, a major part of this story. In the meantime, it, it, it's a fight that has built into it every story you could possibly imagine. You know, uh, Joshua fighting for redemption, maybe fighting for career. It sounds stupid to say it, and I, I almost hate myself for using this <laughs> phrase, but fighting for career, career survival, for mm-hmm. relevance, for, uh, because, you know, he, the way he lost, the manner in which he lost, and the fact that leading up to it there had been a few, you know, cracks in the armor, uh, but, you know, clearly he never lost up to that point. So, so it seems ridiculous to be saying this, but a lot is at stake for him against uh, Ruiz. Can Ruiz, a, you know, a larger-than-life, uh, fascinating character, can he pull that off again? You know, it was, and it wasn't a one-punch knockout that came out of nowhere, right? right. You know, it was a fight in which he ended up dominating uh, Joshua. So, um I think it's going to be a fascinating fight and made even more fascinating by, we, by the fact that we really do not know what other stories will be generated by the location of the fight. Yeah. Well, great stuff. What a pleasure to talk boxing with you. But, uh, but that's not the only, uh, only lane that, that, uh, that you can drive in. Uh, you are a versatile man, and I think um, this is something about you that I think at this point a lot of people know this, but maybe there are some who still don't, that, uh, that you are a performer as well in terms of singing, uh, and, and you have a, a music show coming up uh, next month. Uh, is that right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I've performed for for many many years, and uh, and in recent um, the last couple of years, I've really gotten back into it in a big way. And uh, here in Las Vegas, I perform pretty regularly. And October on October nineteenth, I'll be performing at the Tuscany Casino, one of the casinos here in Las Vegas, just off the Strip. And um, it's going to be uh, uh, start time is seven thirty. We're going to do several sets of music during the course of that night. And I will be doing some sports trivia uh, and giving away copies of my book, 30 Years, 30 Undeniable Truths. Um, and uh, so it should be a fun evening, but I'm looking forward to, to doing it. There's no cover charge. It's at the Piazza Lounge. Come on by, visit, and uh, in between sets, we'll chat boxing. Fantastic. Uh, well, well, thanks so much, Al. Uh, as, as I told you uh, before we got on the air uh, when we were trading some emails, uh, Kieran requested that you bring your B game, uh, but uh, unfortunately <laughs> for him, uh, th- this felt closer to an A. Uh, so we, we really appreciate you uh, you filling in. It's been great doing this with you. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to do it. You guys are one of my favorite listens uh, in, uh, in not just the boxing podcast world, but any podcast world. I love listening to you guys. It's always fun. It's, it's entertaining and informative. So I was more than happy to be, uh, to be a part of it. And um, hopefully uh, I'll get a chance to come back and visit with you guys guesting from time to time. Absolutely. Thanks again, Al. Right. Take care. Now, as promised, let's go to the interview Kieran and I recorded with Andy Lee. Take it away, previously recorded, Kieran. We are joined now by someone who is one of our favorite guests on our old HBO podcast and who is hugely popular with fans during a professional fighting career that lasted from 2006 until he announced his retirement in February 2018. He is former middleweight titleist Andy Lee. Andy, welcome and thanks for joining us on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Yeah, it's nice to be with you guys, even on a different platform. It's still a great thing. It's the same great content. <laughs> exactly. It's better. It's better. Yeah, if not better. <laughs> so uh, when you joined us on our last time on our previous podcast, you'd retired relatively recently, and you seem to be focused mainly on being a dad and growing fat and happy. So how are all those goals going, <laughs> and what, what uh, else have you been up to? Yeah, pretty successful with, on the fat side. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I was pretty content with that for a long time. Um, I work here in Ireland as, on a sports radio show called Off the Ball, so I'm their boxing correspondent, and I do bits and pieces with commentary for the BBC, Sky, Afton, and BT Sports. So I'm kept busy, but recently got back into boxing, um, not like unexpectedly, because this young kid came along. His name's Paddy Donovan. He's from Limerick, Ireland, and um, I saw him in the national championships. 
and um, there was a lot of people approaching him to turn pro and he came to me for some advice and we ended up working together and training together and now I'm managing him and training him and he signed the top rank. So oh, nice. um, he's, he's, a, he's a phenomenal talent and yeah, prospect. So he'll be having his debut hopefully before the end of the year and you'll be hearing a lot about him hopefully. Just can't get away from it, can you? Yeah, I know. Well, I'm like back into it, but it's, it makes sense because you know, I've known and loved the, loved the sport and it's given me so yeah. much. So to give a little bit back to somebody else like Paddy, who's a good kid as well as a good fighter, um, it's a nice thing to do. Yeah, and boxing sort of uh, tends to have that uh, that pull, sort of like the the Godfather Three quote. You think exactly. you're out, and it pulls you back in, right? I did. I didn't want to say that, but that's that's what was on my mind. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to pull that one out. Um, so uh, you you are uh, still involved in the sport then, do, doing some you know working with with young fighters. But um, as far as being an actual fighter yourself. That part's over, and, and it's always a great thing when a boxer is able to retire with his physical and mental health intact, because we all know how dangerous a sport it is. And that was really reinforced last month with the ring deaths of Maxim Dadashev and Hugo Santian. When you heard that news, apart from the sadness that two of your fellow boxers had died, did it help drive home how glad you are to be retired and how fortunate you were to have escaped serious injury? Yeah, 100%. There's like... You know, it's, it is a risk every time, and and when when these deaths happen, it, it really just puts things into perspective, and, and it opens your eyes to the dangers of entering the ring. Um, but I remember after I retired, and people can try and watch this film. There was a film that coincided with my retirement. It was called Journeyman, by Paddy Con- written and directed and acted, starred by Paddy Considine, the British actor, and it's about obviously a boxer who suffers an injury in the ring, and and. It was one of the like, you know, boxing movies. They come along, they're never realistic, and you kind of after 15 minutes you're, you're switching them off because <laughs> they're so far removed. But this film really made like hit hit a lot of the points and a lot of there was a lot of like truth in the film. And yeah, look, this this it's, it's a tragic thing in, in boxing that that, that that's what it happens, you know. And um, I'm not sure what we can do, to, what what can be done to combat it. Um, mm. But I think one thing that can be done is when fighters, you know, there's this attitude in, in boxing that you go out on your stool, they go out on your shield, you know, that they're going to have to stop me before. And that's that's obviously the natural approach for any fighter. But we've seen like fighters re- in recent times pull themselves out. Remember Rigondo did it, Dave Allen did it mm-hmm. over here recently. And they get a lot of criticism from fans. Like, they had no hope of winning the fights. They were only going to sustain punishment. And so they decided to check out uh, and pull themselves out of the fights. Um, but then you have guys like Dadisav, who, although he wasn't taking the pound in any one stage, like that he was never in the fight, but he continued to keep fighting, even when, and, and then he ended up with the, with the worst possible outcome, you know? So I think some sort of cultural change could happen. Like, when you look at MMA, for instance, those guys tap out all the time, and there's no shame in it, you know? There's... They're not shamed. Whereas mm-hmm. look at Rigondeaux's career since he retired on the stool against Lomachenko. It's kind of been, you know, it's it's very been very hard for him to, to, to get to the same level again. You know, he's kind of been pushed back now and kind of pushed to one side because of, because of that decision he's made. Mm. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, like obviously. The, I just think if if it's not so much shame like in a fighter saying I've had enough, right? And there might be attitudes going in, you know. And more fighters might survive instead of fighting on when there's no hope of them winning. Right. We'll start on a downbeat, guys. Have a really- <laughs> yeah. Let's 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 transition. Let's do something else. All right. It's uh. <laughs> so it's always a bit difficult to sort of transition after discussing that, but let's try. Let's um, let's actually get your perspective on uh, uh, some developments in and around your old weight class. Then, um, uh, Gennady Golovkin. He's signed now, it seems, to fight Sergei Derevyanchenko in New York. Um, not the fight that everyone was hoping for for him. And it's not at all clear if that fight's ever going to happen. But what are your thoughts about Gennady and Derevyanchenko and on the likelihood of us actually ever seeing a third bout with him and uh, Canelo? Um, I think it's it, this is an interesting stage in his career, Golovkin. I don't think he's the force that he once was. He's not this, you know, he's not the bogeyman in the division anymore. And I think a guy like Derevyanchenko has a real shot of, of upsetting him at this stage in his career because I think those two fights with Alvarez, Alvarez would have took a lot out of him. Mm-hmm. And he, he's, he's still, he's still, he's still up, like, 
maybe the second best middleweight in the world. But um, he's not the force he used to be. So it's an interesting stage in his career. And, and it might be a time where he's involved in actually some really good fights because the guys will be a little bit closer to him now mm. uh, in terms of competing. And I think Davachenko having a kind of Eastern European style similar to Golovkin, I think, I think it's a good match. I think it's a very good match and not one that Golovkin will have all his own way. Do you think do we do you make him the favourite? Do you think he should probably win it? Oh, he's the favourite just on 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 on, the, on on his history, on his record, and you know he's definitely a favourite. And Davidchenko didn't look much again. Like he didn't put up. He didn't. He kind of ran out of ideas against Danny Jacobs. Mm. Um. So, but it's a completely different style. You know, it's a different style right. that he's facing. He's not going to have to chase him or or like Golovkin's going to be there in front of him. And Golovkin will give you opportunities to hit him. Um. But it's it's what comes back at you is the thing, you know. So I don't know if Davidchenko has the defense to to nullify what Golovkin has, but he certainly has an offense, and he made the land punch on Golovkin. And at this stage in Golovkin's career and in his life, you know, how does he hold up when he's taking solid punches from a younger middleweight? So mm. uh, it's an interesting contest, you know. And all the time that like, you know, Canelo was so clever in terms of waiting out Golovkin and and drawing it yeah. all out. Those fights and he let Glockin and Glockin was having regular fights and they weren't necessarily hard fights, but he was having hard training camps, hard uh, and medium to hard fights, and and all the while Canelo was just waiting in the wings and get him at the right time. And I I thought it, I told you guys the last time I thought the draw was a was a good result for the first fight and I thought Canelo clearly won the second fight and I think if there's a third fight it'd even be more more clearer, you know. So. Okay. Like Canelo, as as much as a controversial figure, and as much as I ha- I hate to laud him because <laughs> of his failed tests and all that, he is a great fighter. He's just an unbelievable fighter, inside outside. He can box, he can counter punch, and he can press as well. So, um, he's he really is one of the most complete fighters out there. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of, of Canelo, this may be somewhat out of date by the time that this interview posts, but uh, the chatter is pretty loud right now as we record this, that he may end up moving up to light heavyweight and taking on Sergei Kovalev. And Canelo is viewed by the sports books and seemingly almost all fans on social media as a solid favorite there, but he will be giving up quite a bit of size. So as a former 160 pounder who... I assume sparred bigger men at times over the years. How daunting a task is it facing someone two weight classes above you? Again, you know they're being very selective on who they're choosing to fight at light heavyweight. You look at the killers in light heavyweight division. You know, from like from 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 Bev be, be or you know, there's about four guys in the light heavyweight division that would would give Canelo a really really hard time because they're fully fledged. Mm-hmm. Bival and, and those guys. Right. As they chose, you know, they picked their time with Golovkin. They moved to the super middleweight and they fought Rocky Phelan, which was a good, you know, belt holder, and they gave gave him the title to Canelo. And now he's picking Kovalev at the perfect time. Put this fight five six years ago, there there wouldn't be like Kovalev would be a clear favorite. Oh yeah. It's timing, and Canelo walks around. I'd say he walks around at two hundred pounds. So probably be a bit of a reprieve him to, to make 175 instead of trying to get down to 160. And yeah, I, I would agree with everybody that he's a favorite. You know, it was an interesting, I'm not sure if you saw the fight with Anthony Yard and Kovalev. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like Yard almost had him out in the eighth round. Well, he went, he had a great seventh round Yard. He goes back to the corner. He's coach, this controversial guy called Tunde. Um, he says, empty the tank, empty the tank. Now's the time, go and stop him. And to be fair to Yard, he did try to stop him, but he spent himself and didn't get him out of there, Kovalev. But had he just maintained what he was doing in round seven with a steady kind of methodical pressure, he probably would have stopped him, not in round eight, but maybe round 10. You know, Kovalev mm. would have a new champion. I'm not sure if Canelo would be, as, would be champion at the beat to get, to get at Yard, but he's picking the right guy at the right time, I think, again. So um, it'll be another title for Canelo. I remember when he before the Golovkin fight where he was insisting he was a junior middleweight and wasn't even a middleweight, and we all knew that that was nonsense. Yeah, so he fight at one fifty-eight, you know. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, moving up the divisions even further, uh, after a lot of bluster and posturing, the rematch between uh, Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz has been signed for December seventh. Um, 
How surprised were you about what happened the first time around? And would you have advised Joshua to go straight into the rematch? Or would you have advised him to maybe get his confidence back with a couple of interim bouts? I think he has to go back in there. He has to, because just for the the look of the thing, you know, just for, like, the optics, he can't, he can't really go and fight anybody else. Um, once of all, because if... Cause, Ruiz could lose, and then the belts are kind of out of his control. And who knows when he could get another shot at the belts? And also for his for himself, for his pride, for how it looks, that he has to go back in there and, and challenge him. Now, I was completely surprised by the first fight, but probably, probably naively, I probably like people hugely underestimated Andy Ruiz, and I was probably one of them, you know, and overestimated Joshua. Um, and it's an interesting rematch, you know, like. Can, can, like I think having to fight in Saudi Arabia, I think a huge part of the decision to go there was that Joshua can win a born fight, that he's not going to have to entertain, you know, that he can just go there, jab, jab, move, and, and clinch, and make it a born fight, and there won't be that, you know, expectancy for him to get a knockout mm. or to put on a big show. And I think if he can steal a victory over there in terms of, you know, winning rounds by boxing as a, like he did as an amateur, then he might try and do that. But, like, it's just the way boxing goes, isn't it? One punch can change everything because he was on his way to having a good victory. He, although he never looked really comfortable against Ruiz, the shorter man. Um, he dropped him and went for the finish and then got caught himself. So we could be talking about a completely different fight, and, you know, had it gone the other way. But that boxing sometimes, can, you know... It, it turns on his head. One punch can turn a whole fight on his head. And sometimes it's hard. Like, sometimes, like, I often thought about my own career. You know, how many times I come back from, by just landing one punch, you know. Right, this, true. McEwen, <laughs> yeah. Jackson, all of these fights. You know what I mean? And even against, even against Quillen, like, I knocked him down. But I had enough food that punch, I would have lost the fight, you know. And it's just, just, like, it's hard to fathom sometimes. There's, you know, you throw a million punches a million times in the gym and, uh, and in training. And that's what you kind of have to rely on is the repetition of it. But just to have the instinct to do it at one time, at the right time in the fight, can, have, can be so close and so far. You know, victory is such a, such a, such a fine line. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, I think uh, when look looking back at your career, you're one of the all-time benefited most from the the value of one punch at the perfect time i don't remember you ever uh losing a fight because of one just one punch but you definitely won a few because of one perfect punch yeah we were just talking about uh about aj he's uh despite the loss he's still britain's biggest boxing superstar these days with with tyson fury probably not too far behind um but you know it's been a fantastic few years for boxing in Britain and Ireland, really. I'm curious uh, if there are some up-and-coming boxers from your side of the pond who maybe folks in the States haven't heard of yet and who you think we should be keeping an eye out for. You, you mentioned uh, your guy, Paddy Donovan. Uh, any other favorite UK prospects at the moment? Uh, I know he had a tough fight the last time with Ray Robinson, but Josh Kelly, is, a, I think, is a super, super talented kid. Like, he's talented. Like, he's probably... He's talented far away is his experience and I think his, the experience of Ray Robinson caught up with him when he fought on the undercard of Joshua and Ruiz they had a draw but I think he's definitely one who could go all the way um, yeah they've got they've got like they've got some really good up and coming young fighters over here um, but it's interesting to see how far it will go because there's only a certain pool like talent talent pool talent here you know there's right. a population and like and not everyone's going to go on to win a world title but uh, he's a, he's a good kid. Obviously, we've got Michael Conlon here in Ireland. Right. He's flying. Like I think he's probably the best prospect coming from Ireland. Um, and there's a few others, but I I I really like Josh Kelly. I think he's like is it? I think he's even though there might be a few doubts about him going after that Ray Robinson fight. I think he learn from it, and he'll be one we'll be talking about in a few years. Final question we wanted to throw at you. Um, we had a Showbox broadcast uh, recently in which the A-side boxers in both the main and co-main events, they were trained by uh, Javon Sugarhill Stewart, nephew of Manny. Um, you were one of the last champions to be trained by Manny. So what can you tell us about, about his nephew, about Javon? And, and does it make you happy to see he's still flying the Kronk flag and he's found a new place for a new Kronk gym and all that? It is. And he takes huge pride in that, that he's keeping the name alive and the gym alive. Um, but like Sugar Hill, um, he's if you want to learn how to punch hard, 
he's the coach to go to. I think if there was like when I used to speak to guys in America, and the, you know the fighters were known for not being punchers. You go to Sugar Hill, and he he's he's a great great teacher. And also, he has that crunk attitude, which is instilled in him from Emmanuel. So there's an yeah. emphasis on knockouts of being aggressive and going out there and and you know, and taking your man out, you know. But like there, there are very few teachers left in boxing, isn't? Like I don't, I don't know. Like the top coaches, you can kind of probably count them on you know on two hands. You know, there's not there's not many great coaches left in boxing. But he's definitely carrying on the tradition. Uh, if I was a young fighter in America, he'd be the first person I would seek out as a coach because he's he, he is hungry, he's active, and he gives a lot of attention. There's a lot of detail. He pays a lot of attention to detail. So, like you could spend, I there were times when we'd be in the gym and we'd spend a whole session just working on one punch, and and the next day we'd work on the exact same punch until wow. it was perfect. So, he is a uh, yeah. He's one of the. I think he's he's one of the best young coaches out there. But I think. The more he like, I think we're going to hear a lot more about him as well. I keep saying that in this in our conversation, but <laughs> he's one who I think you know, um, he like he's got a good connection with Demetrius Slade now, so he's training a lot of yep. his fight. I think you're going to hear a lot more from Sugar Hill yeah, going forward. That's great. It's good to hear. Um, hey Andy, look, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, um, thanks for having me, guys. You, uh, thanks for joining us on, on this podcast, and you know, best of luck with everything, especially the getting fat bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the easy. That's the easy. <laughs> right. And hopefully we'll talk to you soon, mate. All the best. Thank you. Best. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Bye. Andy. And that will do it for this episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney and Bernstein and Lee. My thanks again to Al for lowering his standards and being a lowly podcast co-host for a week, and to Andy Lee for joining us as well. I shall return next week with another guest co-host. What the hell? Let's make it two boxing hall of famers in a row. Uh, that's all the information I'm giving you for now. We'll look back at Fury Valin and the rest of this weekend's action, and we'll look ahead to the September 20th Showbox card. Until then, safe continued travels to my man Kieran, and to the rest of you, thanks for listening.